Hey friends, this is Holly Goodman, and you're listening to Isaac's Autism Wild podcast, where we focus on topics related to raising loved ones touched by autism and its impact on relationships and family. I'll be sharing some of my personal parenting experiences raising my son Isaac, who passed away in 2007, as well as an entirely different parenting experience as I now raise my son Caleb, who never ceases to blow my mind with his beautiful autism perspectives. So grab a drink and join me as I interview this week's group of exceptional autism parents. All right. Welcome to Isaac's Autism Wild podcast. Today, I have a special guest and we're talking about behavior. Um, That seems to be a common theme that uh, we're getting feedback from our families that are home doing social distancing is that they're um, experiencing kind of an uptick of some behaviors. And so I asked one of my good friends, Jeff Callis from Lilac City Behavioral Services, to join me on a podcast to talk about factors about behavior and then... And um, pretty much just wanted to pick your brain about some things that you notice, um, some things that parents might want to take notice of themselves, um, understanding what you call the behavior curve. So you're going to talk a little bit about what that is. But first, before we jump into that, Jeff, can you introduce yourself, all of your education and um, background, and then a little bit about Lilac City Behavioral Services? Sure. Um, well, thanks. Thanks again for having me, Holly. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, my name is Jeff Callis. Uh, I own Lilac City Behavioral Services. Uh, Lilac turned four uh, March 13th, the, the day before all, well, March 12th, I suppose, the day before all the COVID-19 shutdown fun happened. Um, but uh, I think that's a coincidence. I don't think it's our fault. <laughs> well, okay. I'm glad you specified that, clarified that because we were looking for someone to blame. So, yeah, right. We need someone. Um, yeah, we had our, we had our, uh, Four year anniversary staff party on that Friday, and then that's when they announced school shut down and all, all the next steps. So it's been an interesting last several weeks, I think, for all of us. Um, what we do is uh, both in home and clinic based ABA therapy uh, for kids with developmental disabilities. Uh, probably most of our clients end up having an autism spectrum diagnosis, uh, either because that's a primary diagnosis or because that's kind of the insurance driver for funding. Uh, unfortunately, ABA is not always open to other diagnoses uh, in insurance plans yet. And that could be uh, a whole podcast in and of itself, right, Jeff? <laughs> it really could be a, a whole rabbit hole. Um, so we, our clinic serves kids uh, age two to five primarily in a preschool school readiness model. Uh, we do have some kids that stay on a little longer in that setting if it's uh, the most important service for them during that time. Uh, our home and community programs serve kids age two to 21. Uh, and that's in a variety of settings, both home, community locations, including schools when they're open, uh, or, or out in the community learning to uh, access community uh, leisure skills or go to the store with families or kind of whatever's meaningful to that kiddo and family. Uh, all our services are individualized to each kid and family we serve uh, and overseen by a behavior analyst uh, or an assistant behavior analyst. Um, uh, and really can can range from really focused intervention around behavior reduction for some challenges that are happening or comprehensive where we're working on a, a lot of skill building uh, while working on reducing challenging behavior across the board. Very cool. Very important to have you guys. Um, ABA is such an important piece to really, I think, quality of life because it's it just opens up the doors for a lot of families. Just, you know, whether it's independent living, self-care skills, or again, reducing some of those behaviors so that they have 
um, they can engage and enjoy life to a higher level of uh, and degree. So, um, so I think it's really important to think about. So are you shocked that your that families are are providing feedback that they're seeing an influx of behavior? I mean, I have to think you're probably not. No, not really. I, I think we've all had a, I mean, we're all experiencing some of the why behind that and that uh, all the routines that we're used to are out the window all at once. And most of us humans, when our routines change uh, all at once from the expected to totally unexpected, have a hard time with that. Yeah. And uh, and we're seeing this across society, not just kids on the spectrum or kids with uh, communication challenges. Um, it all uh, a lot of folks are having a hard time with all the change that's going on right now. Absolutely, I was just saying the other day that I'm I'm myself experiencing quarantine fatigue um, because I am just I'm I'm over lack of you know like structure, lack of routine. And this is just, um, even though, you know, you can build some of that at home, it's just not quite the same. And you have to be very disciplined. I feel yes. like you have to be hyper disciplined to maintain that level of routine and structure in the home when you don't go and do anything. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing for us to do. Um, so I, I have just found, have you found that to be the case or am I just, am I just in my head, Jeff? You can tell me you're, you're, yeah, go ahead. I think that's all of us. It's useful to use some strategies probably to remind ourselves, uh, what are the routines that are important? I know for me, one that's kind of gone out the window is meal prep and, and, uh, regular dinner creation. And so a little more eating out for a little while. And then that impacts, uh, you know, health factors or the pocketbook. Um, and so getting back into the routine of just making breakfast, making dinner, doing the get ready. Now that we've kind of started being able to reopen our services, uh, to a mix of telehealth and in person, my routine's pretty much back, but, um, plug, plugging in some structure is important. And, uh, and when, when you can't necessarily stick to it every day, plugging in visual reminders for yourself can be helpful too. put a sign on the wall. Remember to shower and eat breakfast or something else, something of that. Are you saying that because you're watching me in our Zoom little conference while we're doing this and noticing that I haven't yet taken a shower? I feel like you you sense that I have. I don't sense anything. Uh, I, uh, you know, no, no, uh, no reminders or uh, evocative anything there. For me. <laughs> so earlier, before we hit the record button, you were talking about the behavior curve. Oh wait, we're being recorded. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, we are. Oh, no. uh, I know. So don't worry. We're on the right track. I've kept us going where we want to be. So um, this was actually a really good mental visual for me. I, I mean, you haven't, the way you were describing it makes a lot of sense. Would you, for the people that are listening to this podcast, talk about the behavior curve and kind of how this, how this work, how this applies in day-to-day uh, interactions and situations? Yeah, I think when we're talking about escalation as kind of a pattern of behavior, uh, it's helpful to think of it as a, as a curve that goes up and comes back down. Uh, and escalation is, uh, I think if we define it as, uh, it's always an interaction between at least two, two folks. Um, and typically at its peak, we can get some pretty intense behavior, whether that's verbal, uh, kind of outburst or physical outburst. And so, uh, for some kids or some adults even, seeing some dangerous and unsafe behaviors when we're at that peak. Um, but if you think about escalation, there's always some sort of starting event or um, circumstance that brings it on. Not always a very clear, this happens and it starts, um, but there, there's always a pattern. And so it's helpful to think about 
what are those trigger type events or what kind of setting uh, setting is going on when it starts. And then that escalation curve goes up in intensity and then it, it will come back down. We all get tired. Um, but when we're in the middle of that, in the top of the curve, uh, that's when we, oh, there's, there's very little we can do except uh, do our best to minimize it and maintain safety, kind of depending on what's going on. And disengage. Uh, well, so I like to say escalation is a two-person problem. Uh, I've got a, a colleague who shares a cartoon uh, of a, a moose and a hunter, and uh, Carl shoves uh, Roger. Roger shoves Carl, and tempers rise, and no one gets. Uh, it's probably better with the visual. Uh, maybe I'll send it to you uh, to link in here. Um, but no one gets out of escalation if if we just lock horns and engage in it. Um, no, no amount of telling a human to calm down has ever resulted in that human actually calming down. Sure. What ends up uh, de-escalating uh, any escalated situation is disengagement. And so even when I'm, when we're working with kids or we're working, when you're interacting with anyone really and tempers start to rise or that, that curve starts to go up, the only thing in the moment you can do to lessen that curve is disengage and withdraw a bit. Come back later to reset and repair and figure out what happened. But any processing isn't likely to happen well in the moment when tempers are on the rise. I'm going to have you pause there just for a second, because if you hear a duck quacking in the back. Hey, you stole my ringtone. That would be my son's cell phone that he left in here. I thought I had turned everything off. But as you can tell, one thing missed it. So, so, yeah. I completely agree. Like, yeah, there's no amount of telling a person to calm down that has ever been really successful. So um, one of the things that I've always, when I have families or parents that, you know, we're just commiserating a bit is, and they, and they're really perplexed and have no idea where this behavior is coming from or what the trigger is, is, um, and you have a total, you have a clinical terminology for it. I, I always just say, Hey, have you started writing, like take a journal, like, because again, when you're talking about it, it takes two people to have like a conflict and then like have this, you know, like a, you know, a, a confrontation or escalation and behavior argument. It takes two people. And so I've always said that, um, you know, taking notes or make a journal entry when you're starting to notice, you know, like, okay, so what happened immediately before, what did it look like during, and then what was kind of, you know, after, and then start reading, going back and looking to see if there's any common denominator. And in your world, you had a little, you have a term for that, right, Jeff? Us ABA nerds like to call that ABC data. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think journaling is a great term as well. You really want to look at what was that, what was going on when it started. And sometimes it seems like it's out of the blue, but even out of the blue is good information. What was going on? Were you focused on? working with a sibling on homework while expecting um, brother Billy to kind of manage on the iPad independently. And then he started having a hard time or were we giving a demand? Hey, it's time to stop iPad and we need to go brush our teeth and get ready for bed. Uh, it's whatever happens on the front end. We like to call the antecedent. Um, but that's important information for why, what started it to, to learn what's going on. Then what it looks like during is really good information. and. Uh, I like whatever, whatever resolves it. Um, the C is consequence, but whatever happens right after, uh, does it end up resolving when we're sitting on the couch reading a book and 
we're doing some calming activities together. That's a heck of a lot of direct one-on-one attention. And if it started with diverted attention or lack of engagement, maybe what kiddo's trying to tell me without having the words to really say it or being able to say it when that frustrated is, hey, I want some one-on-one time. Yeah. And that's good information for us to have. Uh, if it starts with, a, hey, I need you to do X, Y, Z, and then we've got this big escalation, and then it ends with, okay, you need to go to your room and cool off for a little bit. Well, I just avoided or at least delayed X, Y, Z pretty significantly. And so that that pattern helps us figure out what is uh, what is this human we're working with or interacting with communicating to us. Uh, and a lot of us aren't good at using our words when we're frustrated. Uh, even more, some of our kiddos who have some challenges using their words or learning to use words. Um, so that patterns actually, I like to say, words lie all the time, but be- behavior never lies. And that patterns what will tell you actually what's meaningful to that individual in, in the pattern that's going on. So true. And I have, I say all the time, I sometimes I feel like I'm a broken record is um, behavior is communication. And, you know, in our family, it's important because, um, you know, my husband's son Cooper is on the spectrum. And so his language um, doesn't tell us uh, what he's trying to communicate all the time, but his behavior will communicate um, a lot more. So we have to be watching his behavior to give us clearer communication as to what the issue is or what he's needing, um, different things like that. So you're so right. Now you are going back into real life. I mean, you're almost back to your normal routine, which I'm very envious of you, Jeff, right now. Like just a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) If you were in front of me right now, I would like throw something at you because I'm just that jealous. Cause I just mentioned I have quarantine fatigue. So I'm a little jealous that you get a routine and I don't, but with that being said, um, those kids you mentioned um, that are being served well by telemedicine are going to continue doing that for a time, correct? But you yeah. guys are going to start up your clinic then again. So starting seeing patients in person? Um, we are seeing patients in per- or clients in person. Uh, we began this last Tuesday. Okay. Um, uh, before that, we were seeing patients with an emergent safety need um, in person. Now we've expanded that to uh, any of our families that are open to in-person services during this time can agree to abide by some certain safety uh, precautionary measures in terms of uh, social distancing and, and screening on a daily basis and really making sure that we're not seeing big deficits or lack of progress happen with a really substantial you know, kind of shutdown period. Um, some of our clients have had a few weeks without services uh, in person. Um, and it takes time to kind of reset from that. But we do, as as clients are being successful with telehealth, we're keeping them uh, accessing telehealth for a period of time. So we've got a kind of a range from 100% telehealth, to some families with a mix, and then some being served in person. Uh, our clinic is not at full capacity, and it won't be for some time. We are minimizing the number of humans in there um, so that we can maximize as much social dis- distancing as we can. Well, when we start going through these these phases over the next few weeks. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, you guys have the ability to get on. So families have the ability to get on your wait list, which is is possible to do online. So um, with this podcast, I'm going to link your business page and then also the intake so that you can get um, the process rolling to get on the wait list. Awesome. Um, the other thing that you had mentioned, um, which I just think is really nice that you guys are doing is, is that 
Well, be it, you might have a lot of your families, a lot of families are on your wait list. You are still trying to help those families on the wait list. So could you talk a little bit about what you're doing to help those families that are on the wait list that have gone through the process of the intake and and submitted the necessary paperwork online? Sure. Um, Yeah, for any family on our wait list uh, who were in network with insurance uh, and we have all the needed documentation, um, most funding sources allow us to provide some parent coaching and support um, uh, with a, a brief assessment and treatment plan uh, rather than a full comprehensive assessment and treatment plan while families wait uh, for comprehensive services. Uh, so we, we try to communicate pretty regularly to the wait list. Some months we're better at that than others in sending out an email. Uh, but if families are ever in crisis, uh, we ask for them to give us a call and we can at least provide, you know, have a brief phone call and kind of talk through uh, how to maintain some safety and maybe some resources they can access in the meantime. Uh, and if there is a need for more ongoing coaching and support, we can plug that in. Uh, we're, we don't have limitless capacity, but it's uh, us saying uh, or trying to say that there, there's these big wait lists and we want to provide some help in the meantime if we can. Excellent. Well, I think that that is amazing. Um, so as a takeaway, obviously, structure and routine is important, which can be contributing to some of the the challenges that we're having. So obviously, that would be um, something that families could put some thought into is just how to create some structure and, um, and routine within their day. And then also being, you know, um, like what you were suggesting, if you're noticing a pattern and you are having dealing with some of these behaviors, taking some of that ABC data, or as Holly likes to say, journal. Because then when we get to have our time with you professional BCBA um, individuals, then that actually helps you then um, be able to kind of analyze the information also more effectively, correct? Yeah, it's it's one of the first strategies we talk about in our uh, kind of foundations of ABA tra- parent training or parent coaching process is taking some solid data. And um, we can't usually help figure out what's going on unless we have a consistent pattern of uh, here's what the data look like. And then we can start trying some things. And, and, you know, we're talking about escalation in general, and then we can talk about a couple general prevention strategies, but uh, it's hard to give specific advice. And I've kind of do my due diligence in terms of asterisk. None of this uh, is specified to individual kiddos kind of advice. There's always exceptions to different strategies, when to use, when not to use. So, you know, I can talk very generally about escalation and some strategies that would be helpful. But if it's a more complex situation, it's always good to get a behavior analyst involved. And they're always going to be really thankful to have some good journaling or ABC data to, to help look at together. Perfect. All right. Well, I I actually think we did a pretty good job just kind of talking about some of these factors, understanding like what causes escalation. I love that, you know, people really do. While it's not comfortable, we have to realize that like we might actually be contributing to some of that escalation. And so understanding what our role is in that and that best things to do is to disengage so that we can get back to baseline and then be thinking about what happened immediately before kind of the during and then kind of what, how did it resolve? Um, and so I think again, before I don't want to put you in a box, so I'm not going to ask you to give us more specifics because I think that it is really, you're right. Very, every person is so different and you, without seeing the whole big picture, it would be difficult for you to, um, be able to answer some of those questions, but is there anything before we wrap up this podcast that you feel like is important for families as a, like a takeaway or a, a thing to keep in mind? 
I think there's a couple general prevention strategies uh, that I like to suggest. Um, and one would be first, when you're looking at that pattern of what's going on with escalation, that can tell you a why, what's being communicated. What is that human saying to you in the course of that escalation? And giving uh, that human another way to communicate that or prompting them to communicate that, understanding those triggers, saying, hey, if you're frustrated, you can tell me you want some uh, sit on the couch you know, time or one-on-one -on -one time, and we can read a book together. And you prevent that curve from getting as high, and you reinforce some communication. And then uh, you want to figure out what's meaningful and then prompt an appropriate way to communicate and ask for that. That's kind of the big idea. What that looks like varies kid to kid and depending on the circumstance. Um, some general kind of prevention strategies that I think can be helpful or to add some structure, uh, like we talked about, uh, a, root, a structured routine is really helpful. Having some visual supports to that uh, that include some pictures of here's the five things we're going to do today, or here's what we're going to do for the next hour. We're going to first we're going to color, then we're going to read a book. Then we're going to go outside and then we're going to get a snack. Right. It can be simple. It doesn't have to be over the top. Uh, it should be at the kid's level when, you know, if it's, if it's written because, uh, you know, can read cool. If it has picture supports, that's awesome. Picture supports are great even for kids that can read, um, just as an extra reminder. Um, the other one, uh, that I like to throw out there is first then. Oh, yeah. Uh, and first then isn't first brush your teeth and then we're going to go to the dentist. If you tell me that, I'm not brushing my teeth because I don't want to go to the dentist. Um, I, that. I hate the dentist. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't go. I, well, I go every once in a while and then I get lectured. Yeah. Uh, but I do brush my teeth. Uh, so good. Good, good. Uh, first then is first we go to the dentist, then we get to go get ice cream. It's about motivation. So the then should be something that's valuable to me, something that uh, I'm going to be motivated to do the first for. And uh, so setting that that up ahead of time like hey buddy in a couple minutes we got to do this and i know you're not going to like it but after that we can do this or this you pick uh and setting that contingency up ahead of time can help prevent that type of escalation over over being told to do something you don't want to do yeah I completely agree. I also like what you offered there too at the end is that like we try and give Cooper then that choice because again, what person doesn't like a little bit of input into something in their life? So I love that option of two, like what, you know, here's your two choices of a reward. Which one do you want? Because then it just feels as though you care and you're interested in like what their preferences are. So I think that that's really, um, I think that's really nice when we have to do, um, we do a lot of first this, then that, even for both of our kids on the spectrum here. And, um, you know, one misconception is it doesn't always have to be food, right? You know what I mean? And that's the other thing too, is, uh, one of the misnomers I think that, um, or misconceptions that I think people have with ABA is, is that, you know, you're only rewarding them with like, you know, a, a cracker or a candy. What's yeah. that? Just the M&Ms. M&Ms, yeah. And it's not really that. And so uh, it's not that at all. I mean, you know, with Cooper, let it be known that he definitely has, if you were to give him choices of go outside for a walk or, you know, like have a snack, almost always he'll pick to have a snack. But again, he's given, he's presented choices of what that will look like. But um, every now and again, he surprises us. But. You know, I think we get a heck of a lot more mileage in ABA therapy here at Lilac, at least out of uh, using routines that are naturally re rewarding and reinforcing. Uh, so first we do this routine, then we get to do that routine. 
And for some kiddos, you need to, we do need to use edibles. Um, but there's some strategies we can use to minimize that. Uh, and it's not, not the best thing to be dependent on in the long run, uh, either for health, because, uh, sometimes candy is the most motivating and not so healthy. Um, but also for life, uh, if I'm, de- if my willingness to do a given activity is dependent on the presence of M&Ms, uh, I'm only going to want to do that if the M&Ms are around. And if there's no candy, I'm not gonna. Yeah. And so sometimes that is the case. Uh, but typically there's more, uh, regular life kind of routines that we can use to set up rewarding, uh, act- kind of sequence of activities. Yeah. Awesome. All right, Jeff, I appreciate that you took time out of your day because I know you are back into the swing of things. And so taking a little chunk out of your day to talk to us is very appreciated. Appreciated. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap up this episode. I'm going to put your contact information, um, some of the links so that that intake, you know, again, every family, uh, a lot, I should say a lot of families are always looking for um, all of their options to make sure that they're not leaving a stone unturned. So we'll definitely make sure that we put that intake link for you guys as well. I just appreciate everything that you do for our families. And I'm just glad that you have stayed well and things are kind of getting back to normal for you. Like I said, I'm jealous. A little bit. I think I missed the social time, but uh, that'll it'll come in time. So thank you for having me. It's good to see you. Yeah. Um, and I hope your quarantine fatigue starts uh, fading a little bit. Sometime. Oh, then- I don't see an end for me at this point. So I've got four kids at home that we're schooling. So um, yeah, so we're every day is an adventure, Jeff. So that, that way for a bit, it seems. It so. does. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to wrap up this episode of Isaac's Autism Wild. Thanks for joining us. And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe. And just remember, we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.